0: Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Um, before we go into the worship service, let me say a few announcements or highlight a few announcements on the back. Um, first, our youth are meeting this evening at 7 p.m. in the home of Robert and Carol Higginbotham. There is the address there, and it is the annual pumpkin carving and new to this year painting contest. So if you're part of that, uh, please bring a pumpkin. We'll have a few extra if you have friends that come or you forget a pumpkin. And we're grateful to Robert and Carol for hosting, so please go to that if you are able and would like to. Secondly, the Women's Bible Study tomorrow is going to be focusing on Psalm 42, in case you are going to be there and would like to read ahead. Next is Church Life Night. This week is actually going to be different. We're going to be meeting at the Chapman's. And we'll say about 6 o'clock, so if you can come out, <clears throat> even if you haven't been coming to any of the Wednesday nights, uh, please join us on Wednesday night for a time of fellowship. Hopefully it's a good time. Hopefully there's good stews and chilies. We're, there will be a contest, and uh, it's, worth, it's worth entering and trying your best for that. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, But please, please be there if you can. If you have the time, we'd love for you to be there. Um, Lastly, this coming Sunday, this coming Sunday, we'll have our fifth Sunday supper, our dinner, lunch, however you call it, after the worship service. If you're able to, you can bring a covered dish to share with the rest of us. The church is going to provide the meat, bread, and beverages. That is all we have to announce this morning. Uh, God invites us by his spirit to worship him. So let's take a few moments to ask him to help us do that. Let's do that now.
1: Let's please stand for our call to worship. call to worship comes from Psalm 47, verses 1 through 7. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great King over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us and the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King over all the earth. Sing praises to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we just ask that you would bless us and keep us. Uh, And we praise you, O God. We praise you because you are our king. You have chosen to give life under your reign, to acknowledge your sovereignty, and to obey your instruction. We We are one of your people, saved by your grace, called by your voice, bowed before your majesty. We belong to you. We honor you, we worship you, you are our king, hallelujah. Yet you are not just our king, you are the king of the nations, you are king over all the earth, you are the rightful king over our workplace, our neighborhood, and our city. You reign over all things, all companies, all schools, all cities, and all nations. We praise you because your kingdom knows no end. May our work this day be an offering of praise to you, O King. May everything we think, do, and say honor you. May the excellence of our work and the integrity of our life glorify you. All praise be to you, our King. Now join me as we pray the prayer that our Father taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. All right, we'll have our confession of faith now. I'll read the question, and if y'all will respond with what's in bold. What is the second petition? Thy kingdom come, that is, so us, by thy word and spirit, and more and more we submit to thee, preserve and increase thy church, destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against thee, and every conspiracy against thy holy word. Do all that is unforeseen, wherein thou shalt be, all in all. You may be seated.
0: We'll have a time of prayer now individually and as a congregation as I lead us. And this second petition from the Heidelberg Catechism, it's the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, and this is the final section of the Heidelberg Catechism that goes through this prayer uh, piece by piece. And it's what I would like to, it's what I will base my prayer around, and it's what we can be praying individually as we go into a time of silent prayer and confession. So you can look at that confession question and be thinking about the ways in which you can be praying to those ends. Um, It is good for God's people to be praying that God's kingdom would come in all the fullness that's detailed here and across Scripture. So I would invite you now to go to God who loves you and hears you, enjoys being with you in conversation and prayer, and pray to him. Confess your sin. Ask that God's will and his kingdom be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then I'll lead us in a time of corporate prayer. Let's go to God in prayer now. Dear God, we pray as your people that your kingdom would come and that we would be more and more willing and able to submit to you in all things. God, we pray that you would change us by your love, that we would desire more and more to seek your wisdom and your your word for every portion and part of our lives. We pray, God, that you would preserve your church and increase it, Jesus, you have promised to do these things, and you instruct us to pray for these things, because you have ordained our prayer to be an instrument for your work and glory. Lord, you know that the devil and his legions conspire against you and your people, and we pray that you would destroy them and protect your people. Lord Jesus, most of all, we pray that you would come quickly. Would you train every person here in the life of grace to be able to speak and live out the gospel so that we would bring more and more people to the good life that you have for your people. God, we pray you would make us kingdom people. Help us to have relationships that are built on the righteousness of Christ so that we can be vulnerable, so that we can share our weaknesses, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, and cheer each other on. Lord, we thank you for the work you're doing in this church as we see the ways in which your kingdom is at work and spreading through us. Lord, we thank you for the fall festival this past week and the relationships that were strengthened, as well as the joy event this past week that brought many people together uh, for fellowship, for fun, to celebrate the gifts that you have given us. We pray, Lord, that you would Bless our gatherings this week, whether it be the women's Bible study or our Wednesday night gathering uh, or our fifth Sunday supper this coming Sunday. Lord, as we gather for life together, we pray it would be shaped by the gospel. Lord, would you lead our youth group into a deeper understanding of your love for them and the life you desire for them? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would you encourage and strengthen us for the coming week and all that it will bring. Lord, would you continue to heal and bring recovery to those who are either sick or recovering from surgery. We pray for Ed, that you would continue to give him strength and heal him. God, we praise you, we serve you, we worship you and honor you this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy and loving name. Amen. Let's pray. God, we entrust our, our lives to you, and you ask us to give of our time, and you also ask to give of our money. Lord, all things are from you, especially our earnings, especially our work and careers. Lord, would you use our tithes and offerings uh, for your glory, for your kingdom? Would you help us to trust you and to trust the leaders of this church uh, with our tithes and offerings, so that we can uh, worship and glorify you uh, through this time of giving. God, would you impact the lives of families within our church, of those in our community who are in need, uh, especially as we go into these colder months. God, there are so many people who are in need. Help us to be uh, to play a role in that. Help us to be people who are looking for and being able to be people who can Uh, reach out, and um, help people in need. Lord, thank you for this time. We pray you would bless our tithes and offerings. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would remain standing, we'll continue worshiping with hymn number 591, Jesus Calls Us, hymn 591. Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to take a Bible and turn to Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 13. We have been going through the Gospel of Mark, I've been enjoying it so much, and up to this point in Mark, Jesus has been showing us his authority over different areas of life, whether it be the physical realm, the spiritual realm, whether it be the Sabbath itself, Uh, Jesus is showing us his power, his mercy, his kindness, and we're now seeing more and more the reaction to Jesus and what that means and we'll see in our passage this morning that, we, that there are people who are near Jesus, but aren't necessarily with Jesus. People who are near Jesus, but not necessarily with him. So please read with me Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Baanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. He called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me for a moment. God, would you speak clearly through your word this morning and through me? Would you open our ears and our hearts to receive the good news again and be changed by you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I grew up as a pastor's kid and didn't enjoy church very much. And didn't see any of my gifts for pastoral ministry until later in college. And one of the reasons I didn't want to be a pastor, or wasn't very interested in the church, um, is that I thought I needed to know a lot of Bible trivia, a lot of Bible knowledge. I thought Bible knowledge was the key to being a good Christian, especially to being a good pastor. Uh, Bible trivia has its place, especially in Sunday school, and... As I grew up, I began to see uh, the place of it more and more. But one of the trivia questions that always haunted me was the naming of the twelve apostles. And I thought, if I didn't know that, um, it would mean something significant about me. And funny enough, when I came through ordination here at this church and in this presbytery, they included the question, "Who? Uh, what are the names of the twelve apostles?" And Uh, I just thought that was so funny. And humbly, I wrote the names I could remember, said I didn't know the rest. And thankfully, uh, thankfully, that doesn't determine whether I'm cut out for ordained ministry or not. The names of the 12 apostles is significant, not so much for the names themselves, but for who they would become and what would become of them. And we see in this passage that whether it's an apostle, whether it's a scribe, whether it's a family member by blood, you can be near Jesus, but not with Jesus. Near Jesus and not with Jesus. And I want us to see that Jesus is calling you and me to be with him and not just near him. The Pharisees were near him and the scribes were part of that group, and they were so near him that they judged him that he was possessed by a demon or an unclean spirit. They were the true outsiders, and everyone to them that wasn't part of their group were sinners and outside of the love of God. Jesus' family was very near him, and they said he was out of his mind. The crowds were near him, And as we'll see in the gospel, they were as fickle as the weather. His apostles were near him. Jesus called them to be with him. And even there, some of his apostles would abandon him. One would eventually betray him for money. Many Christians want to be near Jesus, but not fully with Jesus. Many people don't want to be near Jesus at all because they see Jesus and his people, Christians, as more like Pharisees who bar people from entry and who judge them. But the Jesus we find here comes near to you and me. He calls us to be with him. And when we are with Jesus, we're part of his family by grace through faith. So we'll look at this passage in three parts, and the first is looking at the significance of the 12 apostles. And then we'll look at the eternal sin and the parable of the strong man. The apostles, to to be an apostle, literally meant to be someone who is sent. So a sent one. And Jesus appoints the 12 to preach, and he gives them authority to cast out demons. And the name of the 12 aligns with, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Jesus, in appointing 12 apostles, is doing something significant. He was essentially beginning the new Israel, continuing the spiritual Israel, the kingdom of God, which was made up of Jews and Gentiles. This list of names that we see here uh, is repeated throughout the Gospels, And interestingly, Peter, James, and John are the first three. And then we don't really learn much about the rest, except for Judas. And this was not a temporary earthly calling to these apostles. Jesus will later on tell them that they are going to be judges over the 12 tribes of Israel at his second coming. So this was a major role that he was calling them to. In verse 14 we read he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons what always fascinates me here is that is, is Judas Judas was with Jesus and yet he never fully knew Jesus he heard all of his teachings He heard all of his sermons, he prayed with Jesus, he was taught by Jesus, and then ultimately he turned on him for money. And what this tells me, and what this confirms for me, is the miraculous grace of God. I recognize there's nothing in me that deserves God's grace, and yet he has given it to me. And with Judas, we see that whether you have walked side by side with Jesus Perhaps maybe you liken it to growing up in the church or however. You can be near Jesus, but not with him. Unless the grace of God changes your heart and gives you life, you will never put your trust in Jesus. And that gives me peace and hope because people's salvation is not tied to our efforts, but God alone. It leads us into this next portion of the passage where we learn about the eternal sin and the accusations against Jesus in verses 20 to 30. Jesus gives us this parable of the binding of the strong man in order to plunder his house. Jesus has bound the strong man. He's saying he has bound the strong man. He has full power and authority over the evil one. And his army, he says a kingdom divided cannot stand. The scribes say he's possessed by a demon. His family, again, says he's out of his mind. And it's in this context that we come across this passage, which has troubled many Christians throughout the ages over their assurance of salvation. And you can read with me in verse 28. Verse 28 says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. Uh, Some of you know who John Bunyan is. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, He was a pastor in the 1600s, and some psychologists, looking back on John Bunyan's life and his testimonies and his his writing, they believe that he suffered from something called obsessive-compulsive disorder, and this manifests itself in some people as a barrage of intrusive thoughts, things that you don't want to think about come into your mind over and over and over again. Thoughts that are repulsive, thoughts that go around and around with no relief. And someone with this uh, disorder may eventually believe that they are the reason they have these thoughts. They start to blame themselves for these intrusive thoughts. They begin to hate themselves sometimes for their thought life. Maybe you have struggled with this, or you know someone who struggled with this, Praise God, there are tools available and and counseling available if you struggle with this. But John Bunyan says this, about this. He was someone who struggled with this passage of Scripture as one of those intrusive thoughts. He said, Sin and corruption would as naturally bubble out of my heart as water would bubble out of a fountain. I thought that everyone had a better heart than I had. I would have exchanged hearts with anybody. I thought no one but the devil himself could equal me for inward wickedness and pollution of mind. I concluded that this condition that I was in could not stand with a state of grace. Thought I, surely I am forsaken of God. Surely I am given up to the devil in a reprobate mind. John Bunyan continues just for a couple more sentences. He says... I did ever so know now what it was to be weary of my life and yet afraid to die. Oh, how gladly I would have been anybody but myself, anything but a man, and in any condition but my own. There was nothing that did cross my mind more frequently than that it was impossible for me to be forgiven my transgression and be saved from the wrath to come. For John Bunyan, he had had this thought that he had blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, against God, and that he was so struck by this that he was afraid even to die because he would then face judgment. Bunyan would eventually find freedom from this. He would find peace with God even in spite of continuing this this condition would continue with him, but he found peace. Thankfully, I give this example to show you an extreme side of this worry, but thankfully Christians, those who follow Jesus, don't have to walk around being afraid of this sin, of the unforgivable, eternal sin. The key to the unforgivable sin is verse 30, which is the which is essentially meaning that the judgment a person has about Jesus, that he is possessed by a demon, that he is an actor of Satan, that Jesus is evil in himself. The scribes have seen miracles from Jesus, and rather than believe, they say and believe he's possessed by a demon. The sin against the Holy Spirit is believing that Jesus is motivated by the devil— rather than by God, by love, or that Jesus is given power by the devil other than God. We don't have to walk around wondering if we've committed this sin. Thankfully, there is no line we can cross where God will say, you can no longer be forgiven. You have committed a sin so egregious that you can't be forgiven anymore. That does not happen with God. There is no record of anyone ever asking for forgiveness this side of heaven and hell and God not granting it. God is a God of forgiveness. No matter your sin, he invites you to come to him. So anyone worried about committing this sin has not committed it. Essentially, if you're worried about committing this sin, you have not committed it. This isn't a sin we're also called to judge, either, in others. So whatever blasphemies you and I can think of against God can and will be forgiven by God if you come to him. But if you ultimately conclude that Jesus is evil or that God is to be hated, And your life comes to an end, you will meet an eternal judgment for this eternal sin. So Jesus is saying this, one, to warn us if we are standing outside and judging God. And he is also comforting us because God has come near to us in Christ. This leads us into the last part of the passage where we... Learn about Jesus' family and what it means to be an insider and an outsider. The family that runs deeper than blood. Look at verse 31 with me. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. In Christian marriage, there is this thing called leaving and cleaving. And a Christian counselor once told me early on in my marriage... Uh, that That most marital conflicts early on stem from a weak understanding of this biblical concept of leaving and cleaving. You form a new family. You become one flesh with your spouse. And this family now takes priority over the rights of your former and continued family. This is done with wisdom and godly judgment. And so now if your parents say you need to come on a family vacation, you need to come over for Thanksgiving dinner, whatever it might be, you must now consider the needs of your new family over the needs of your extended family. Jesus points out something similar to the family of God. Who has the right to call on Jesus? Who has the familial connection to Jesus? Does being Jesus' blood relative mean anything? Does being near Jesus mean they are with Jesus and have the right to call upon him? Jesus responds that it's not his blood relatives who have the deep relationship and tie to him. It's those who respond to his call and do his father's will. It's anyone who loves God And loves their neighbor. And so the only people who have a claim to Jesus are those who trust him, those who are sitting at his feet and gathered around him. So whether you are part of Jesus' literal family, or you grew up in the church with a Christian family, true disciples of Jesus, the family of God, Christians, have put their faith in him and trust him and do as his Father taught. Essentially, you are on the sidelines until you personally trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior and follow his Father's will. Many Christians want to be near Jesus, but not fully with Jesus. Many people, again, don't want to be near Jesus at all because they have a conception of the church based on the behavior of other Christians, that it's not a place that can include them. They are too messed up, too broken, too sinful to be a part of the church. But the Jesus we find here comes near to you and me. He brings us near to himself. He calls you to be with him, and when you are with Jesus, you're adopted into his family, you are forgiven, and you are loved. So perhaps you like to be near Jesus but not fully with him like me. I like to take up the Bible and focus on the areas that I can really agree with and do and achieve, the parts that are too difficult For some of us, or that we think are wrong, we say they're optional or they're nice, but we don't really have to obey those parts of it. Jesus is calling you and me to be with him, and that means we're called to do his will. We're called to trust God's will over our own will. It's a miraculous and gracious work of God's Spirit to change someone's heart from self-love to the love of God. From being Lord over our own life to having Jesus be Lord over our life. And So until we trust God's will over our own, until we trust that God has sent his son Jesus to die in our place for our sins, and that his will is best, We'll be all on the outside looking in. We'll be near Jesus, but not with Jesus. To be with Jesus is to be fully known in all of our weaknesses and sin, and to be fully loved at the same time. To be with Jesus is to know that we are flawed sinners and loved by Jesus all the same. And then he opens our hearts to see him as Lord over our work, over our family, over our leisure, over our fun things, over our secret addictions, over our secret interests. The bond that goes deeper than the blood of our relatives is the bond of Jesus' own blood spilled for you and for me. To be part of this family To be a true insider to the God of grace causes causes you and me to see outsiders in a totally different way. No longer in the church is it us versus them. Jesus wants to make insiders of all people. So being with Jesus changes us. Because we were on the outside and he came near and brought us to be with him. Brought us close to himself. And now Jesus wants to bring everyone in. He doesn't want anyone on the outside. He wants the Pharisees and the scribes to come near to him. Which is why he's warning them. He wants his family to truly know him and trust him. The people who are with Jesus grow to no longer see anyone else as an outsider. We're all outsiders looking in until the grace of God changes our hearts, changes our prideful hearts, and gives us life. And so we see how Jesus is showing us how the church can't be a private club. It's not a private club, a club for insiders Otherwise, we may as well be Pharisees. The church is where sinners share a family relation, and that relation is that sinners are united by the blood of Jesus, and we're transformed by the Spirit. There is no one who has out-sinned the grace of God who cannot come into a church of Christ and be near Christ and worship him with his people. In God's glorious family, the people who know him are the people who do his will. And this family is going to look very different. The church global, the global church, is going to have traditions and ethnicities and interests that vary in ways we can never plan or expect. And it's beautiful and glorious. So whether you're a Christian Or not. The call is the same. Jesus is calling and inviting you to be near him and with him. Not just near him, but with him. As Lord over your life. As the God of grace. Whose forgiveness knows no bounds. That is who is calling you to be with him. That is the Jesus we find in the Gospel of Mark. Would you please pray with me? God, we we thank you for this portion of Mark. It's so challenging to us, and there are things that we can't fully understand, that I don't understand, but we trust you, Lord. God, I pray you would give us a growing desire to be people who are bringing more people into your family and your church. God, I pray you would help us to be with you this week. That every area of our life would be open to you. That you would show us how your grace and your mercy affects those areas of our life that we would rather keep from you. God, make us a people who are so close to you that we live and breathe Uh, your word and your will. God, we love you. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to be with us, Emmanuel, for forgiving our sin and giving us hope. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time uh, where we can see and enjoy your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would stand, I invite you to stand, and we will continue in our worship service with hymn number 672, which is Trust and Obey. Let's continue worshiping with hymn 672. receive God's blessing and respond with your amen by faith. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.